welcome to the Fourth U Dimension podcast. My name is Ember Kelly, and I am the Director of Religious Education at the Fourth Universalist Society in the City of New York. These podcasts are part of our educational effort, seeking to discuss the pressing issues of our time. For this March, we are specifically looking at the idea of organizing. What is organizing? How do you become a good organizer? Why do we do it? And I am so excited to have Tom Burke on as a guest today, who is a union and anti-war organizer. He is joining us to talk about his experiences and what motivates him. So I hope you stick around and listen to this podcast. I am so excited to get to sit down today with Tom Burke. Tom Burke is a anti-war and union organizer, as well as the organizational secretary with the Freedom Road Socialist Organization. And today we're gonna to be sitting down and talking about organizing. What does that mean? What does this work look like? How do we do it? Uh, and so Tom, I'm super excited to have you here. Thank you, glad to be here. And I'm really curious, how, how did you get involved in this world of, of organizing work? Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I became a student activist back in the early 80s. I was uh, at the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. And I decided, even though I didn't have a lot of money and I was working two jobs in the summer to, to pay for college, I decided it would be a good idea to do a study abroad in Manchester, England. Um, and I was interested in that because of the Industrial Revolution and Manchester is very much like a second city in Britain, uh, like Chicago, where I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. So I wanted to go see it and um, turned out to be a great experience and shaped who I am. I um, went there in 1984 and 85 when the miners strike was on. And the miners strike affected every day, the entire year it lasted. And the miners lost, unfortunately, but it got me to thinking about what kind of society we live in and what kind of society would be better to live in. And it turned my ideas to thinking about socialism and questioning uh, capitalism. And at the same time I was there, um, I grew up with this, uh, you know, in an Irish immigrant family in Chicago. And um, so we had a lot of culture and music and dancing in my family. And so I helped found the Irish Student Society at the University of Manchester. And um, I began to experience what it was like to be Irish in, in Britain. And uh, you're often treated second class. And um, every time I traveled to Ireland, I started getting heavier and heavier security, even though I was not politically involved and could, really couldn't have even explained what was happening in the north of Ireland very well. Um, the police and security gave me extra uh, attention. And uh, it was actually the first time I saw computers used was to check my passport to make sure it wasn't fake. The police took it away into another room uh, uh, at a boat in Liverpool. So that was the first time I uh, experienced computers. Um, and so that changed my views about uh, Ireland and colonialism. And I started to get involved in the anti-apartheid move, movement and support Nelson Mandela in Britain. 
So then when I went back to the, the campus in Champaign, I joined uh, the Divest Now Coalition and became a, uh, one of many, there were dozens and dozens of student leaders, but we, uh, we occupied the student union demanding that they uh, quit investing in apartheid South Africa. We demanded free Nelson Mandela and um, we won. We, you know, South Africa, it took a few years, but divestment happened the next year. So then I thought organizing was really easy and effective, but I later found out it's a little bit slower than that and that people had been working on it for decades. So that's how I got involved, the anti-apartheid movement, as well as El Salvador. I became an activist in solidarity with the Salvadoran people against the US war there. So that's kind of it. Well, you know, I think that uh, especially at uh, I can't say I'm a Gen, a Gen Z, but I, I am on the younger side at, at 30, 32. Uh, <laughs> I had to think about how old I was there for a second. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think that a lot of folks think like uh, radical activism, like, oh, the 60s, but like the 80s, you're, you're up against Reagan and Thatcher and there's the, you know, boycott divestment and sanctions on South Africa uh, in, in play. Um, and you know, there's there's all these movements that are going on, and like you know, these they're they're kind of the the unsung uh, activism moments that like people don't necessarily hear about. Uh, it's usually like oh, there was the '60s, and then like and then George Bush. Um, that's right. The, the, that's people's his understanding of like a history of organizing is that basically nothing happened from like the '80s to the 2000s. The first political, overt political act I probably ever did was in 83. It might, yeah, it had to be 1983. I, um, I went with a uh, graduate student from, who was in the physics department. We climbed a billboard with a Ronald Reagan advert on it and graffitied it. Um, seemed like the punk rock thing to do at the time. So I suppose that's the first political act I did. <laughs> I, th I think it still gives you some street cred all these years later, too. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, so organizing, like it's, it's this really broad concept. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, I mean, we had Obama, who was the community organizer. We have, um, you know, basically a whole programs now at like a lot of colleges that are like how to be a, a community activist, uh, like a degree program, you know, so. So what exactly in your mind, like when we talk about organizing, what does organizing mean to you? So, you know, I'm, I'm with the Freedom Road Socialist Organization. So our goals are to make revolution so we can achieve socialism and we want socialism so we can achieve liberation for oppressed people. And in the United States, uh, you know, our view is that African-Americans, Chicanos, Hawaiians, our oppressed nations, that uh, Puerto Rico should be independent, that we have to end the colonial relationship the US has. And there's many Native American peoples who need their sovereignty respected and have other rights that they're demanding that need to be fulfilled. And there's many oppressed nationalities. This is a diverse country with a lot of immigrants as well as uh, you know, people who were born here who get treated like they don't belong here. 
So we, we want full equality between all the different nationalities, as well as women's liberation and LGBTQ plus uh, liberation, you know, that we, we want to put an end to all these different oppressions and have unity and, uh, you know, respect between all people. So that's the point of view I'm coming from. And I don't think those college courses have the same goal, actually. I think college is where you train people to be like the middle classes or at least have those ideas. And many universities train people to be the ruling class, to be the rich people who run all the companies and make all the decisions for the rest of us. And that's our basic outlook is that, you know, there's a capitalist ruling class. It's right there in New York on Wall Street. And then it's also spread throughout the country. Here in Michigan, where I live, there's like six billionaires and their names are put on everything, even on public projects, you know? And they'll use taxpayer money to benefit their own projects, which then they accumulate private profit from. So, you know, we wanna do away with all of that and have a society where working people are in charge and we want our other allies to join us in a new type of, uh, you know, society that uh, doesn't exploit people. So I don't think they're teaching what we teach in uh, college courses. And um, I've studied some of those nonprofit uh, courses. And the thing about the nonprofits is uh, they're not all evil, but most of them are set up by people with a lot of funding and a lot of capital to achieve ends that are limited so they don't challenge the people with all the capital, all the money. So that's, that's my view on it is uh, don't waste your time. Come, come join the working class and organize with us. Oh gosh, I can't, I can't help but think as you said that, uh, I was looking at like it was a list of, of the, the top 10 donors of, of billionaires. And if you look like so many of them are, uh, especially, I know Jeff Bezos was, was the number one, but what did he donate to? He donated to his own fund uh, for doing <laughs> activism. So like, does that really count as a donation when you're just donating for the work that you want to do? You're not like donating <laughs> to help somebody else do the work. You're donating for yourself. I'm not, not quite sure that counts as a donation. Yeah, he's got 200 uh, billion in his pocket. And uh, the Amazon workers are making $15 an hour in most of the country. And when they want a union, he'll spend millions and millions to stop their union. I tell people, by the time you've brushed your teeth, he's made your salary for a year. You know, that's, that's how much money he makes. Right. Yes. The, that real gross uh, inequality. That is. That is for sure. When I, gosh, I, you said that, and I, I remember somebody recently telling me a story that they were on a call about uh, the uh, Amazon workers trying to unionize down in Alabama, Georgia. Yep, that's right. Uh, that's right. Uh, one of the down down there, down south. Uh, you know, doing doing the radical work in the in the deep south too, uh, and that they were doing this, and that. One of their Zoom meetings got like Zoom bombed by, you know, somebody drawing graffiti on the thing. And, you know, so is, is Jeff Bezos paying somebody to? to I was on that bomb? call, actually. And um, uh, I thought it was quite funny, actually. But um, 
<laughs> I also didn't want it to last more than the 30 seconds I saw. And um, yeah, so, you know, one of the things we did in Michigan was we organized a solidarity with Amazon rally uh, two weeks ago, and it was 25 degrees out, it was freezing, but we got 25 uh, trade unionists and young people out and we did a car caravan to the distribution centers. And it's a good example where, you know, they've built a, a huge warehouse out by the airport outside of Grand Rapids. And it's all decided by Bezos. There's no one else who gets to have an input or decision-making in this. He's making the decisions and, uh, you know, he's not trying to win market share. He's trying to own the entire market. They're gonna have a monopoly. And so what I'm advocating is that the unions, the Teamsters and the AFL-CIO together, along with the you know, different postal unions, they need to create a union monopoly and organize all the warehouses at one time instead of just doing one at a time. Because they couldn't beat Walmart by doing it one at a time. And I think the only way to take on these big billionaires is to take them on, to go for it. And I think workers would rather see us fight it all at once and get behind it than kind of piecemeal. So we, the unions have to act differently than they have for decades. We need to revive the strike and we need to revive militant trade union organizing, so. As someone who grew up a Republican in, in the Midwest and conservative evangelical Christian Republican at that, you know, I, I remember always hearing about how horrible unions were. And then, you know, when I went off and, and worked in retail, you know, they, they start with those videos when you're in your orientation and it's, here's why you don't want a union here. And they're going to take all of your money and do all of these horrible things. And you will have to listen to their every rule. Whereas now, right now, you get to be empowered to be yourself. You know, so th th that anti-union, uh, I mean, gosh, you, you uh, having been active in, in work during the Reagan years, you know all about how this has been just such an intense indoctrination against, against thinking that unions or banning together in our workplaces can ever be like a good thing. Like we've been told for so long that it's like, you know, if, you, if you do something like that, you're just gonna have to pay out union dues. Uh, yeah, and becomes... unions, unions were strong in the 80s, but uh, the bosses, Wall Street, ended their contract of uh, working together and decided to start attacking them. And then the existing union leadership, uh, I would argue, didn't put up very much of a fight. They just wrote it out until they retired. And that's still happening today. But, you know, the numbers are so low now, there's really no choice but to fight and take a different approach to it. Um, my dad was making $15 an hour working in a warehouse, Jewel Foods in Chicago in 1988. He, he retired that year, he was making $15 an hour and he didn't think it was enough then. And he doesn't know how people can survive on $15 an hour now. It's it's, it's just above the poverty level and take out taxes and other costs that you have to pay. It's, it's, it's right there at poverty. So we, we really need to rejuvenate uh, and, and try some old tried and true methods from the 1920s and 30s 
to mobilize people and have strikes and have fighting unions and put some spirit back into what we're doing and why we're doing it. And as you say, you know, I work with people who voted for Trump. I'm a stagehand and um, I'm also part of, uh, I'm a co-chair of our organizing committee. And um, <clears throat> this very week, we've had a number of mem members kicked off unemployment. We've been unemployed for over a year now. This, this week is one year. And when they're kicked off unemployment, uh, you know, they don't call the union saying, uh, you know, what their political views are, whether they're Trump supporters or Biden supporters. They say, I need the money or I'm going to lose my house or I'm going to get evicted or my landlord's going to come or my kid's school needs to be paid for. Or I have a car payment. They have very real right now kind of issues. And so that's the teaching moment where they learn, well, the union actually can do something for you. If you weren't part of the union, you'd be on your own. You'd be trying to call local politicians, but the union actually can organize and help people both individually and as a class of people. And so it teaches workers who might be swayed, you know, by Wall Street messages or Bezos messages or Trump messages that if we build a stronger labor movement, it changes the whole debate, the whole discourse. So that's what, you know, for me, that's what we should focus on is organizing people to participate and learn from their own experience. And then that they have the power to change society. And from there, we build the ideas of socialism that workers actually don't need capitalists. We can have a society without them and do, do it better than they do it. And other countries are proving that. I mean, so, so many things that I could take uh, <laughs> from, from that for our next, next direction. But actually, uh, I, I wanted to, to call back a little bit to, you, you know, you mentioned uh, that with, with the divestment that you felt so empowered about how easy organizing was because, because this had, had gone so quickly and well for you. Uh, someone that was coming into a movement that was actually decades old at the time. Right. Um, you know, so what, what have been, you know, some of the challenges that you've, uh, Know, faced as a, as an organizer and in doing this work. Well, I think the 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 big challenge in U.S. society is how to build unity between different nationalities, and even within the anti-apartheid movement, a lot of the a lot of the you know white students had to learn about. Well, this this is not just something happening overseas in South Africa. Uh, you know, the U.S isn't a settler society anymore it was and it, it certainly used to be with Jim Crow uh, an apartheid society and and that was brought to an end by the civil rights movement so you can see the victories that movements bring to people's lives and change the the way government operates but we still had to learn lessons about you know racism in the U.S. and national oppression in the U.S. and think about, well, how do we both participate in changing it and challenging ourselves at the same time to change who we are? So for me, you know, the years of uh, activity has shown again and again that by 
observation and participation. That's what Fred Hampton from Chicago would, would have said um, from the Black Panther Party, observation and participation. You study situations, you study society, and then you act to change it. And through that process of struggle, as well as summing it up with groups of people and with leaders, you can create new realities and understand how, how society operates and you know, apply again how to change it further. So even when we lose struggles, which is more common than not, I always preach to young people, especially, it's exciting to get involved and participate, but you need to understand that mostly the campaigns we wage, we actually lose or we only have a partial win, but where we can, can make big gains is by keeping people active and organized and raising the level of organization and building new movements, you know, or resurrecting old movements in new ways. Um, that's something the National Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression decided to do a year and a half ago in Chicago. They called a conference, a national conference. This is a group that Angela Davis and Frank Chapman and Charlene Mitchell helped found in the 70s to oppose political repression and racism. And they refounded it. And just in time with the George Floyd movement that arose at, at, after his killing by a cop in Minneapolis. And it's helped to lead many protests, including just on Monday, uh, there was solidarity, you know, justice for George Floyd solidarity rallies in about 20 cities. So groups like the National Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression, they're, they're bringing back the Black liberation movement in a new way. As an LGBT person, I think that, you know, one of the things that I've learned is how much of a difference it makes to, to do that, that organizing cultural consciousness raising change versus like, you know, just, you know, signing an executive order, maybe it'll, maybe it'll help with something, but does it change the attitudes of, of millions of people uh, versus doing the organizational work, doing the movement building work, you know, begins to truly shape and change things. So I have an interesting experience with that question exactly. So I was in the service employees union. First I was in local one in Chicago and then we transferred to local 73 and I was a school custodian in a town of Oak Park, which is a, a great town. It's uh, I call it the Sweden of the suburbs of Chicago. It's a, it's a, a, set, a little town with a lot of progressive people, really good churches and synagogues and, uh, you know, they consciously tried to integrate parts of Oak Park back in the 70s and unlike other, other places, so great place. But when I was working in the school, uh, a union representative approached me and said, look, I have this guy who lost his, uh, his job in one of our union factories. And it's because he organized his fellow workers, mostly Mexicans, to make the union real and effective. And uh, you'll appreciate this, Ember, given where you're from. They moved the factory from Northern Illinois across the border into Wisconsin near Kenosha and Racine to get away from this guy in the union. That's, <laughs> that's how desperate the owners were. So 
this this guy, his name's Jose, he ends up working with me because he needs a job. And every day for years, we, we work different shifts, but we work together for an hour every day. We would work together and talk politics and you know talk about unions. And I learned a lot about Mexico from Jose. But what he learned from me was about May Day because the, the Haymarket graveyard is just a few miles from the school in Oak Park. And I would go there every year before or after work to commemorate May Day. And, I'd always meet someone interesting out there that day. And, um, you know, the Haymarket Martyrs are kind of a forgotten uh, group of people for decades in Chicago. But I know when I went to Columbia on a trade union delegation, every trade unionist who found out I was from Chicago would approach me to talk about the martyrs of Chicago. So there's a really incredible consciousness down there about it. So anyways, I taught Jose about the Haymarket Martyrs and May Day, and I really didn't think a lot about it, but with the immigrant rights movement and the repression of what was called the Sensenbrenner Bill in 2006, my friend called for a protest in Chicago on May 10th, which was yesterday in 2006, and 120,000 people turned up to oppose uh, the Sensenbrenner uh, Bill, which was it would it would make it illegal for a priest to offer sanctuary to a family from Central America who were fleeing, you know, war and violence. It was a really terrible bill. But Jose called me that day because I had been teasing him that no one would respond to his call for a protest. <laughs> and in fact, 120,000 people in Chicago did. And he said, you know what this means next? And I said, yeah, it means May Day. And I said, you're going to make May Day a, a real holiday again. And so these discussions we had every day, which were really consciousness raising discussions, Jose is the one who turned the theory into reality. And so every city in the US, at the time, they were the biggest protest in the history of the country. Now the George Floyd movement is. But you know, consciousness raising has an important place, studying and having study groups has an important place. And uh, I definitely want to encourage people to study. Sometimes as a 32-year-old, as a sometimes I feel like the, the elder of, of activism is seen sometimes. But then I talk with, with, uh, with activists who've been doing it longer than me. And it's just always you know, amazing to get to, to hear all of these stories. And it's really inspiring. Well, the, the, um, the other part of the May Day thing is that for the Freedom Road Socialist Organization, we were not a very big group. We're much, much bigger now. And uh, Carlos Montes in Los Angeles, who's the founder of the Brown Berets, I talked to him about it and he took it up in LA. And once LA and Chicago with Chicanos and Mexicanos united, then it just became a huge thing. And you know, we couldn't run fast enough to keep up with the movement. Right. It, mm. I, you know, I'm not claiming we let it, but we made a good call. We promoted it. Uh, we brought the history part into it in a way that was living history because it has immigrants and workers together. But a small group, conscious people, we had this huge impact, that, at least for that moment in history, you know. Definitely. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, as uh, our, our listeners come from a variety of, of ages and backgrounds, uh, and some have done a ton of organizing, some have done none, um, you know, what, so what are 
maybe just some some moments that really stick out to you as like that really have have defined your work uh, in organizing. Well, as I said, a lot of organizing is uh, quite mundane, quite difficult. Um, you know, we cannot always have quick victories or, um, you know, there's lots of, uh, lots of setbacks involved. And so you have to keep your spirits up and, you know, kind of be determined people. I, uh, I advise young people to be patient while also being persistent that, um, you know, uh, you know, people have lots of revolutionary heroes, but, uh, you know, they need to read their biographies and understand it was not all glorious and good, that there's a lot of suffering involved, there's a lot of difficulties. Um, sometimes things seem uh, desperately slow is what I want to say. And then all of a sudden, something like the death of George Floyd, you know, kicks people into motion in a way that we haven't seen for two decades. And, um, all of a sudden there's, you know, protest in even small town, Wisconsin, I'm going back to Wisconsin or rural, rural white towns in Kentucky that I read about where, where there's not an African-American population, but the youth and some families get together and hold a march challenging uh, police repression and, you know, the anti-black political context of the Trump administration, you know? So, you know, keep persistent, keep organizing. The, the organizing part of it's very important. What we say in the union movement is, if you're doing most of the talking, you're not organizing. Because a good organizer will listen to what the workers are saying or what the community members are saying and take in and take notes, actually. I carry a notebook around. I'll take notes of what people have said because we can only lead people if it makes sense to them, you know? Um, it, we have a problem in the US where, you know, a lot of the people who wanna organize for socialism are coming off a of campus or, you know, our professors and such. And then the working class is disconnected from them. And that's something we're trying to solve by having more people become organizers of the unions or of community groups so that you're forced to engage with people who don't understand your words or your phraseology. And so um, when we write for Fightback newspaper, I, we have a newspaper called Fightback. We tell people you, you should strive to write for a high school level of, of reading because we want workers to read what we're writing. And I've had people who are college educated, which I am too, but they say to me, oh, so you dumb it down. And I say, no, no, we're not dumbing down. We're smartening ourselves up. Because if we're talking over people's heads, uh, who, whose purpose does it serve? It's kind of a selfish purpose, you know? And it's not about us. It's not about me, you know? It's about how do we move the masses to make history and to create a new society? because this is an empire in decline. We live in an empire that's in decline. And Trump showed us it's in decline. He, he had a different 
set of ideas on how to save it than Biden has. But the, the trick to this game is that neither of them is gonna save the empire in decline. It is declining and becoming less significant. And the US can't just make wars where they want. They're, they're stymied by the peoples of the world who are taking more and more power into their hands and having more democratic societies. So, you know, the challenge to us is how do we help from inside the soul of the empire to hasten its decline so we can create a new society? From inside the belly of the beast. Yeah. <laughs> well, and gosh, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think the, the, one of the things you said there made me think of the quote, I want to say it's, you know, that uh, in some, some decades, uh, nothing happens, but in some days, a decade happens. It's very true, you know, very true. Yes, definitely. And, you know, like uh, having, having done this work for a decade of my own life, you know, even as someone younger, you know, it, it's true that like sometimes it will really uh, just kind of flatten out and not be anything. Then all of a sudden, boom, you know, you just don't know what to expect. People often tell me that I uh, exhume calm and uh, my sister and I laugh at that because we say we're the most anxious ridden people. We're, we're, uh, <laughs> we're ready for things now. We, we want change immediately, you know. That's, that's what we talk about in our own family. But um, I've been forced to learn to be calm. I've been forced that we have to be patient, but keep working, keep striving to do what we're trying to do. And, uh, you know, it, if you are persistent, you will see gains eventually. It, it can take decades, but it will come, you know. One person who I want to point out is Frank Chapman from the National Alliance against racist and political repression. He has a new book out on black liberation and socialism and it's published by FRSO. And uh, I think if you read that book, you'll see you know, in the black liberation movement over the, the course of 150 years, you know, there's just this constant march towards freedom. And uh, I'm hoping Frank writes a second book about it because uh, we need to bring it up to date in the last few decades. So thanks for Definitely. letting me mention that. Hey, no worries. Uh, you know, and the other thing you mentioned there with talking talking more simply, I think that to me, having come out of two master's degrees, my, my biggest blessing uh, in many ways, not just because of their good COVID numbers, was, was ending up in Vietnam for a while. Uh, because it taught me to speak cross-culturally. It taught me that mm. not everybody understood all of my college ideas that I had learned, all of my master's level ideas that I had learned. It taught me so much about communicating in a way that comes across to people who maybe don't even speak English as their first language or to, uh, to just folks from different uh, English-speaking cultures. Like, how can I be communicating more simply? It was such a, an eye-opening experience for me. And I think that that's really important for organizing that, you know, yes, it's important for us to learn and be up to date on these concepts, but also how do we then communicate those to, to everyday folks is, is really important work. Yeah, so we call it practicing the mass line, which means, you know, we spend a lot of time listening to people and trying to make sense of it so we can present back to them ideas that will advance our struggles forward. 
So like I said, in a, in a union, you don't get to pick who's in the union. It's people who show up at the workplace and they have all kinds of different ideas and different views of things. And um, most, most people are, uh, you know, uh, enjoyable and fun to work with, but there's also people who, uh, you know, for whatever reasons, life has beaten them down. They're kind of miserable or even really antagonistic to their fellow workers. But we try to change the dynamic uh, through building unity and, and, you know, make the workplace one where the pay is good, the benefits support people and their loved ones. We uh, respect all the different types of relationships people want to have and their private lives and love lives and uh, allow them to be who they want to be at work too. Um, and yes, I'm mainly speaking about LGBTQ plus people because that's still an ongoing struggle in our workplaces, you know? And uh, we, we, you know, as a union, we often have to confront bad behavior by male chauvinist or racist people. And, um, the union doesn't have to wait for the boss to act on these things. We, we can create a workplace that is loving and accepting, even if the boss doesn't want it, you know? We, we can lead that struggle too. So we have a lot of power in our hands. It just has to make sense to other people as we lead them in struggle. And then um, we can see the embryo, if you wanna put it that way, of a new society that uh, we don't have to allow capitalism to exploit workers. And we don't have to allow someone like Bezos with $200 billion to decide how the rest of us live, you know? Right. Well, I think, you know, uh, a lot of the, the academic world, especially, but like the, the nonprofit industrial complex world, <laughs> that pe people talk about, like people talk about issues, talk about groups, and I think that a good organizing is talking with the groups, getting involved with uh, the communities. I think, I think that's the difference between uh, superficial organizing and superficial change is when you're talking a lot about things like detached academic concepts versus getting down there and actually talking with people and getting to know them and building, building those relationships. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, just to say like, uh, Organizing unions, you know, in workplaces to go on strike sharpens up uh, who stands where, you know. Um, it's important for people. I, I went to a solidarity with George Floyd rally here in Grand Rapids, Michigan on Monday. And they, the police targeted and arrested the young black leaders. And then uh, a number of young white people you know, went to, to yell at the police and try to pull people back. So they arrested them too. And while overall it was a negative experience where the police targeted and arrested leaders, the outcome of it is, is great because everyone summed up who was there that this was not a random act by the police. They planned it out. They arrested, the first two people they arrested were standing on the sidewalk which it's not illegal. So, you know, they're gonna have a hard time justifying that, but it actually created more unity and more determination to, to demand justice against 
the police repression of people and the police terror that exists in many cities in this country, you know? So I, I think the police are fighting a losing battle um, if they think more repression is gonna work out for them because it's only gonna drag more and more people out to oppose it. And, you know, they're gonna start seeing unions show up. Unions are starting to endorse these protests. I've never seen that for 35 years. That's a new phenomenon. Um, other unions are saying we should stop treating the police unions as if they represent workers because they mostly represent terror for, you know, immigrants, for, you know, young people who are out having a good time at night. Um, crime, crime is at its lowest rates ever in this country for the past like 25 years. And they're just arming the police like crazy. And other people know it better than I do, but I'm just speaking to what I see. And um, the politicians are the ones who are ordering this, you know? So you have democratic po politicians in cities like Chicago with Lightfoot, the mayor, who, you know, she's a black woman and she's a lesbian. And she's, I think she belongs to the United Methodists, which is pretty progressive. But she's acting worse than uh, Mayor Daley, you know, who, who I grew up with both Mayor Daley's and I, I have no good words for them and she's acting worse than they are, you know. So what's the answer? The answer is not the political parties. The answer is build people's movements, build the unions and build the unity between those two, between labor and oppressed people. That's the alliance that wins victories and changes reforms the society, you know? And then Wall Street's gonna be stuck. <laughs> uh, a beautiful vision. <laughs> as long as it doesn't mess with my commute, then, then I'm okay. <laughs> no, but uh, I, you know, we, we've talked a lot about different uh, protests and projects, uh, you know, like the book, uh, that they've been associated with, involved with recently. So is there any, as we, as we kind of close out our podcast here, is there uh, projects that you wanna, that you wanna plug that, for people to know about or like things that'll be coming up uh, in the near future? Well, I'll ask people again to read Fight Back News. We, we printed seven stories yesterday and I think five more today. Um, we're reporting news from all over the country and as, uh, as the movement grows, we have a lot more news from medium and small cities besides, you know, LA, New York, and Chicago. Um, you know, places like Jacksonville, Florida, New Orleans, uh, Seattle and Portland, they're all sending in news reports and describing activism and doing it with an attitude. You know, we don't pretend to be objective like the, the rich man's news we say that we stand with the workers and the oppressed. So our, our news has an attitude. So read Fight Back. And then um, I'll point out that, uh, you know, May Day is coming up soon. So people should think about immigrants and workers and participate in that. Uh, we're seeing that Biden is likely to act more warlike than uh, Trump ever did. So there's a group called United National Anti-War Coalition it's largely based out of New York and um, Albany, I believe. And uh, so I'd ask people to pay attention to the UNAC. 
Um, for students, there's Students for a Democratic Society, which is a good group to be involved in, as well as groups like the Black Student Unions and MECHA for Chicano students. Um, and finally, I think, uh, you know, people should think about having study groups and studying Marxism and, uh, you know, developing their thinking in a way that's uh, new and dynamic. And, uh, you know, read, read the revolutionaries of the past, but start thinking about your own experiences and summing them up with others, because th that, that will enrich what we're going to do, you know, next week, next month, next year. And the, the time is now. We, we have a dynamic in this country we haven't seen since the late 60s and early 70s with social movements, you know. The, 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 I was thinking about the women's march the day after Trump was inaugurated. And, um, you know, a lot of bourgeois women participated in it, but there were millions of women. So it was mostly working people out there. And it was such a great dynamic to see. But um, we, you know, we need to build on these marches and have independent groups that aren't just there for electoral purposes. So. I, I want to encourage, you know, do do your thing where you live and do it independent of uh, of the elections because we have a lot a lot in front of us that we can change, you know. So unions, you know, we need to give a whole new uh, kick in the pants to get get the unions going again and fight for unemployment fight for other people and their causes and uh, build unity. So that's what I have to say. Get out there and organize. Don't be afraid. Other people need you. We need you. Join a group. Join the Freedom Road Socialist Organization if it's your cup of tea. Uh, we're growing quickly all across the US. Just this year, we've had about 600 people join on the internet which, you know, we try to turn that into a qualitative improvement, but pe people are asking to join all the time now where for decades, it was hard to find anyone even interested. So I'm excited and I appreciate getting to talk to you. It is, it's an exciting time to be doing this work. So Tom, thank you so much. I will try and make sure to get links from you for, for the Fight Back News, as well as uh, for that uh, Black Liberation and Socialism book so that we can plug those in our description on the podcast. But Tom, thanks so much uh, for, for joining for the podcast today. Thank you very much. Revolution, socialism, liberation. And thanks to all of our listeners as well. We really do always appreciate all of our listeners.